Well, tonight we're going, we're going to look at uh, John chapter 11, but this story deals with the resurrection of Lazarus. But we're not going to look at the whole story. We're going to look at, we're going to cover verses 1 through 16. And, you know, when you really begin to dig into the Word of God, boy, I tell you what, the thing, it is amazing the truth that's found in this stuff and how it challenges us. Um, but in the first 16 verses, there are some things here that from our perspective, we would, and I've been using this word all day, that if you look at it, can put us in a conundrum. That's an interesting word. Someone say conundrum. You know, I know that's not a southern Louisiana word, you know. I don't even know if Boudreau and Thibodeau can even say that. How would you say that in Cajun? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. But looking at the first 16 verses of chapter 11, there are some things that just make you scratch your head. And for those of us who have hair left. And you just go, man. But remember, everything, the life that we live is no longer about us. Paul says, it's no longer I that live, but the what? Christ that's living in me. It's no longer about us. So we want to dive into tonight and take a look at two very interesting conundrums from, not from God's perspective, but from a human perspective. Um, tonight I want to take a look at trust God in the waiting. Somebody said trust God in the waiting. Okay. Now I want to talk to all the moms in here. Um, every lady in here that has ever bore a child. Trust God in the waiting. You know about waiting. It's interesting that while as the time progresses and draws closer and closer to deliverance, as much as you want that little precious thing out of you, <laughs> they ain't going nowhere until the time is ready. It's almost like they control you before they get here and they control you after they get here. And then it's somehow happened when they leave the house after being 18, 19, 20, they still control you when they're gone. And so while you are ready to deliver, the one thing you do know, there is an interesting season of waiting. I don't know how many of you have ever watched a spider and how meticulous this spider is when he's weaving his web and he just, you just see the legs just doing this, doing this. It can be quite boring to watch. But what is interesting about the spider is that it is so disciplined in building the web. And then once the web is totally done, you would think food would automatically come at that point. No, because not only was there a waiting in building the web, now he crawls up. And then there is a second waiting for the food. And then all of a sudden, some flies, something flies in there, and there was a ringing of the doorbell, and then he goes, okay. It was all worth the wait. Let me ask you a question. From a Christian's perspective, what do you think is the hardest thing to deal with or to handle as a Christian or as a believer? Let me hear. Let's just open it up. What do you think? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. We don't want you to just blurt it out. I never, that's rule number one in my classroom. You don't yell out in my classroom. I will give you a demerit. Okay? So don't tell pastor I'm giving out demerits in church. Okay, from a Christmas perspective, what do you think is a very difficult thing to handle? Hello, Chuck. 
Hi, Chuck. It's hard for you to deal with. Why is that? Yeah, you remember the old, the, the, I had a grandparents who say, when you know better, you do better. Is that always the case? We think it should, but it's not always the case. How many times do you tell your kids not to do something, they keep doing it? Okay, so the, one of the difficult things as a believer is your, the, some, your failures. Okay, someone else was up here. Yes, sir. Anger, as a Christian, is very diff- a very difficult thing to deal with. Why? Okay, it's, <laughs> it's hard not to reciprocate the same emotions back at you. Yeah, especially road rage. Amen, amen. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. You've been looking at my notes? Because 99.9% of us in here are control freaks, whether we want to admit it or not. That's our nature. That's our nature. And we want things done our way. Okay. Someone was, yes, ma'am. Miss Diane. Yay, Diane. Every person over 50 say amen. And I, I, I feel you because I'm there too. There too. Yeah, getting older and knowing. But see, Diane, you're the type of person that in Genesis, God says, let there be light. And he said he gave a, the greater light, the sun, 12 hours, and gave the lesser light, another 12, that was to, to call it darkness or the moon. See, you're the type of person that has squeezed 25 out of 24 if you could. And because God is a good, good father, he needs to understand about that lesser light. Someone, Mr. Barry, Mr. Barry, right? Ooh. Waiting on something you believe in God for. Wait, you been reading my notes? I, I got an interesting article here. It's by, it's an author, Christian author by the name of Ray C. Stedman. And it's entitled, God's Strange Ways. Okay? It says this. Every, if you were to ask a majority of Christians, what is some of the hardest problems to handle? You would get a a plethora of answers. But here is what he says. One of the hardest things for Christian to handle is what to do, what do you do when God does not do what you have been taught to expect him to do when God gets out of line and does not act the way you think he ought to act? 
then what do you do about it? Wow. Wow. It's interesting that in this particular passage, the 16 verses, we see the same conundrum that is facing both the disciples and two sisters. John, who goes out of his way to portray Jesus Christ, to portray Jesus in the writing as the Son of God, the deity of Jesus Christ, he makes no bones about it. His writing is to the Jewish people, and he wants to make known that Jesus Christ is, he is divine. And there are three major miracles that John chooses to focus on that solidifies who Jesus Christ is as divine. One is found in chapter 5 with the, para- the man that's paralyzed at the pool of Bethesda. That's in chapter John chapter 5. The second miracle is uh, found in John chapter 9, and it deals with Jesus healing the man that was born blind, which had never been done before. And if you read that story, it's so funny when the mother, they called the mom and dad in and they would say, okay, was this boy really blind? And so for fear of not being cast out of the temple, the mama responded, well, he a grown man. What you asking me for? <laughs> you know, the man's grown. Ask him. And then the third powerful, most powerful miracle is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. These three miracles are incredible, but in every case scenario, John, uh, the author Ray Stedman says, in every one of these miracles, there are two things that is, that, that is obvious that when these signs took place, John calls them miracles. And there are two things that take place when they occur. Number one, they did it, and there were those who believed in who he was. The second problem here involved when he did these miracles, at the same time where those who began to believe on Jesus as he, did, as he performed these miracles, at the same time with each of these miracles, the opposition against Jesus sharpens. It grows harsher and more belligerent, more open in its attempt to silence him. And each time, Jesus feels a deeper threat from the powers that are raised against him. And so we know from a biblical perspective that the raising of Lazarus from the dead is his final miracle. But it's also the one that nails, put the nail in the coffin, so to say. Because it is that miracle right there that his enemies decide, oh, he has stepped beyond the line now. So why did I title this, these 16 verses, you know, trust in the God, of, in the, the God, trust God in the waiting? Because one of the most difficult things about living the Christian life is the waiting. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Praying for something and not seeing it manifest when you think it should manifest. Or... A season in your life when you never thought something would happen starts to happen. And it goes against everything you believe as a believer. Because now what I'm experiencing in my life doesn't make sense. God, hello, did you forget about me? I lost job. A failed marriage. A child on drugs. The death of a loved one. An emotional breakdown. We're not talking about the world. We're talking about believers. Where we find ourselves in a circumstance where literally nothing makes sense. 
Can we trust God in the waiting? How many of you can raise your hand and say, from time to time, you have prayed to God and it felt like your prayers hit the ceiling and come tumbling right back to the floor? Has anybody ever experienced that? Keep your hands up. Please look around. Look around. Matter of fact, let's do this. If, if, if you've experienced that, please stand. Look around. All right, be seated. So much for the lie from the enemy in your ear that you're the only one. We just expose him as a liar again. So what do you do at that point? What is the only thing you can do at the point where, where you pray, set your face before God, fast and pray, declare the word, and the thing gets worse? Anybody been there? Wow. Interesting. What do we do? Trust God in the waiting. Look at Psalms 9 and 10. It says this about trusting God in the waiting. It says, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Now, what is the interesting part here? I got to remember, there is no screen. There's a screen, but it's, it's over here. And those who know your name. Now, why is it interesting? Why does that passage of Scripture open up with those who know your name? Because in the Old Testament, name denotes character. So when we call on the name of God, his name tells you who he is and what he's capable of doing. El Shaddai, El Elyon. Come on, somebody. So those who trust your name is not only trusting your name, but trusting your character. Because your name denotes to me what you are capable of doing in my life when I trust your name. And those who trust your name put their trust in you. For you, O oh Lord. Now here it is. Have not what? Read it. Have not what? So you, oh, you're reading too fast. Have not what? Have not what? Come on, I hear this group here, but I don't hear too much of it. Have not what? He have not forsaken those who do what? Now, if we were to read it in a way that it's supposed to be written, it says, and those who know your name and put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who constantly seek you, who steady look for you. Because here is what happens with these conundrums that we're going to see. It has the ability sometime, watch this, let me see what we have here. Here's what happens. It has the ability, according to this writer, to, say, to, to, to cause us to say things like, um, where was God in this situation? He didn't answer my prayer. Prayer doesn't work. What's the use? I'm tired. It doesn't work. Jesus have abandoned me. Any of this sound familiar? When you're in a waiting? Because we need to be careful while in the waiting what we declare out of our mouth. We need to be careful what we declare out of our mouth while we're waiting. Because here's the thing you need to understand. God is not governed by time. We are. God is not governed by time. We are. Now, look at, 
Isaiah chapter 41.10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Let's look at it. First of all, he tells us to do what? Fear not. What is the implication here with the word when he says fear not? What's the implication here? Trust? Huh? There are going to be times and circumstances that's going to come in your life that's going to give you the opportunity to do what? To fear. Because if, he, he, if it wasn't true, he would tell us not to fear. Fear has the ability to show up. Circumstance has the ability to show up in our lives to cause us to fear. But he tells us, fear not. Why? Why does he tell us not to fear not? Say what? See, the problem here, the conundrum, you hear me say that, the conundrum with fear not is that when he says he is with me, it is in the waiting that I don't feel him with me. But because you can't feel him with you, does that change the promise? This is what we need to understand. Our circumstances does not change the promise of God. If God is, God is not like man that he should lie. So if God says, I'm going to be with you, fear not, I'm telling you, say, God, I feel fear pressing on me, but that's a fact. What I'm experiencing is the fact that fear is here. But the truth is, you say you're not going to leave me, you will never forsake me, you tell me not to be dismayed, so I'm going to trust you in the waiting. Woo! Okay, I suppose this is teaching, not preaching. Watch this, he says, this is why I don't want you to fear, for I am your God. He didn't say, I am your spouse. He didn't say, I am your boss. He didn't say, I am your best friend. Why? Because every last one of those people I just named is incapable of removing your fear. Every last one of the people I just called out has the ability to fail and disappoint you. And he declares, I am your God. And he says, because I'm your God, what is he going to do? He's going to do what? He's going to strengthen you. That's one. What else will he do? That's two. He's going to help you. What's the third thing he's going to do? Uphold you. How would he do it? With his righteous right hand. Understand something. The word righteous here is he's going to uphold you by the standard of his character, which never changes. His character is immutable. It never changes. If I upheld, God said, if I upheld you last week, last year, last month, then you need to trust me for today. Because I did it yesterday. I can do it today. Let's go to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust God in the waiting. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says this. Trust in the Lord with all your what? And do not what? Do not what? Do not what? Tell your neighbor, don't lean. <laughs> do you know a tree always fall in a direction that it's leaning in? So if you're falling, you're leaning in that direction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not 
lean on what? So as a believer, if, you, if your faith is failing you, it's because you're trusting and leaning in your own understanding of the situation. But he says, in all your ways, do what? Do what? Do what? And then if you do that, what will he do? Now notice in verse 6, there is a command, but his part is predicated on your part. What's our part in verse 6? And all of acknowledge what? Acknowledge him. And then when we acknowledge him, what did he say he was going to do? Make the path straight. He didn't say he was going to get you off that road. He says, I'm going to make the path straight. The path here is your thinking. If you can't change the it that you see, change how you see it. You may need to write that down. Sometimes God is not going to change your circumstances because he needs to change how you see it. And sometimes God wants to change our perspective of him by allowing us to be placed in circumstances that is beyond us so we can trust him. And by trusting him and he delivering us, we will see him differently. I am so preaching myself happy. Now let's look at our text. Let's look at our text. That was the introduction. Here we go. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord uh, with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Somebody say ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Keep in mind, keep in mind what he just said. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of, of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, <laughs> somebody say conundrum, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Next. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Okay. Somebody say conundrum. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to kill you, stone you, and you're going where? Conundrum. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? Diane. If anyone walks in the day, Diane, he does not stumble but because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the light, he's, anyone walks in the light, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the, li the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said unto them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, leave it right there. Put, put it back there. Put it back there. Interesting, the word recover was not the original word used. The word recover here, well, he will be risen. Isn't that interesting? See, just by removing the word recover and put the word risen gives us an interesting twist on the story. All right, next. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking a rest and sleep. 
Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Conundrum. Didn't you just tell me before that this sickness is not under death? Then you come back and read with Timmy. He's dead. Which is it? Is he sleeping dead? And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And <laughs> poor Thomas. Poor Thomas. This is crazy. Poor Thomas. Thomas, the one called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him too. Thomas has got such a bad rap. Let us go, you know, so we can just die too. Do you see the issues that is involving this situation? Point number one, what do we want to take? Three major points we want to take from this passage, this passage of Scripture. Number one. God's timing is better than ours, and our understanding is not always best. God's timing is better than ours, and our understanding is not always best. His plans are set and will take place in his way and his time. His plans are set and will take place in his way and his time. Now, I want you to notice something. It wasn't long before in, 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 in John chapter 10 that Jesus said, I and the Father are one, and before Abraham was, I am. And then the, the, the guys who was building the temple were like, are you crazy? And in the conversation, they picked up stones and wanted to kill him, so Jesus had to disappear. And then we jumped right into John chapter 11, in the very place they left from, because I can imagine these boys must have been breathing a sigh of relief. We went, oh, thank you, Jesus. We left the place. And then all of a sudden, they get a word, a note from Mary and Martha to come to Judea, to Bethany. And he tells them, let's go. To them, that didn't make sense. But what's even more difficult is the fact that Jesus decided to wait two days. You see, where Mary and Martha was to where Jesus was was about a two-day's journey. So by the time the note got to Jesus, it was already two days into his death. So by the time Jesus decided to go and he arrived in Bethany, it, had, it was four days later. Now, for those who may not know what's going on in the Jewish uh, belief, it was believed that somehow within three days that there could possibly be hope of a resurrection in three days. Notice three days. I don't know why they struggled with Jesus because even in their own belief system, they said something can still happen in three days. But Jesus could have easily showed up before then and even spoken then to speak life and the boy would have been healed. But he withheld himself for two more days. Now, from a human perspective, remember it opened up and says, the note says, the note came and says, he whom you love. Now, what is the implication there? It was notice in the note, the note never requested, I need you to heal him. What they did was they played on his emotional love for him, hoping that that would be enough. Mary's plan was, if I write it, he whom you love is sick would be enough to get him to Bethany. But it didn't. 
You would think when someone is having an emergency in your life and a family, that's enough for sirens to blare, for you to get on the phone, call 911, put them in the back of your car, mash on the accelerator, put the blinking lights on, and let's go. But Jesus did just the opposite. He went to sleep and stayed for another two days. From a human perspective, we would say, really, Jesus? I thought you loved me. Why would you not come to me in my moment of weakness? Why would you act as if I'm not your child? Why would you delay your coming? Remember, God's timing is better than ours, and our understanding is not always best. His plans are set and will take place in his way and his timing. Here's a point I want you to understand. Put the point up. God's timing is never rushed, but purposeful. God's timing is never rushed, but purposeful. Why did Jesus delay his going for two days? Well, remember, he had just left Judea where they wanted to stone him. And with each of the three major miracles that's being mentioned in John, the, the intensity of the hatred of his haters are growing. And so Jesus knows that in be orchestrating all of this, he's orchestrating all of this, he wants to make sure that this boy is show enough dead. Now, you ain't going to see the word show enough because that's in the Freddy edition of the word. But he wanted to make sure this boy was shown up dead. And the purpose of that was that, he says, so that God can be glorified and the Son of God can be glorified. In other words, God was going to get the glory. Jesus was going to get the glory out of this death. Now, I know what you're saying. How in the world does God get glory out of something that's bad happening to his children? Well, let's take a look closely at this so that you don't misinterpret what's being said and what's being done here. Remember. This is the last miracle that Jesus would ever do before his resurrection. He knows the time is now at hand. So he knows that once this miracle is performed, it's all over. The fat lady is singing. Well, I shouldn't have said that. Okay. The party's over. When he said that this will bring glory to the Father and to the Son. Remember, the glorification here is not, is, put it this way, the glorification will lead to his death and his resurrection. This event of raising this man from the dead will lead to his death and his resurrection, which will bring glorification to God and the Son. That's why he's saying, I'm not going because this is going to lead to the glory of God and the glorification of the Son. Why? Because it's going to lead to his death and his resurrection. So he says, I am a God of purpose. I cannot allow this boy to be healed. I must allow him to die because it's going to lead to my glorification. You see, we need to understand when we're in the waiting, when it seems like everything that the doors and windows of heaven is shut, locked, and closed, and sealed with putty glue, gorilla tape, double pane window, soundproof in the walls, and no, no, no sound can get out. It is in that 
point, it is in that season that God is getting ready to perform his purpose for what he declared from the beginning of the time for you in that moment. And if we truly believe that while we're waiting, here is our prayer. Lord, I don't understand why I am in this place, but I thank you that you will be glorified in what I'm going through. Because this is not about me. Because remember, we died and our life is hidden in Christ. It's all about displaying God. It's all about displaying Christ. So if the, by, display, by going through what I'm going through, somehow it's going to give glory to you and display you, so be it. Let's go with it. God does not see your struggles the way you see them. He sees them as his strong on opportunity to show up in front of your family and your friends who've been talking about you and talking about your God. You see, in the New Testament, in, in Exodus, you almost thought be, there was a battle between Moses and Pharaoh. But that wasn't true. That was between God and Pharaoh. Because if you studied the Egyptian civilization, empire, they called Pharaoh their what king? Their God kings. So God says, Moses, I'm going to use you. Moses, watch this, conundrum. I'm going to send you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses tried every way he could to get out of it. But he said, God, I'm going to go. He said, Moses, oh, wait, 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 Moses, one other thing. Yes, Lord, I'm going to make him tell you no. (laughs) What? Are you kidding me? Then why go? Moses, this is not about you. This is about me. I need to show this joker I'm God. See, what you're going through is not about you. God needs to show the enemy that's pressing on you that he is God in your life, not him. (laughs) You are on display for all the powers of hell to see. And the God of your salvation will come to your rescue. And then look at Satan and go like, how you like me now? <laughs> Booyah. Oh, God is so good. Watch this. God's timing is never rushed but purposeful. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, it says this. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me What? It shall not return to me void or empty, but it shall accomplish that which I what? That I what? And shall succeed in the thing for which I've sent it. Notice, so shall it be that the word goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void or empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. He says, that which is coming from my mouth as a promise has a purpose. And he said, it's not going to return to me void. Isaiah 50, uh, 46, 9 and 10 says this. Remember the things I have done in the past. He says, remember the things I've done in the past. Living word. For I alone am, I am. Now, he said it twice. Now, that means you better listen. You know, those people say, don't make me call you again. I am God, I am God, for those who are hard of hearing, 
and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. When you really understand verse 10, you don't flip out as a Christian because God knows what's coming before you get there. And if Romans 8.28 says he's working all things for your good, together, for, together for your good, he didn't say he's, they're going to be good. He's going to work all this stuff for your good. Then I can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. Jesus, why would you wait two days? Conundrum. Why would you wait? Sure enough, dead. Hebrews 6, 16 through 19 says this. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desires to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise, you and I, the unchangeable character of his what? Of his what? In other words, nothing you go through will change his purpose. Nothing will change his character. I don't care how tough it gets for you. It's not tough for him. Your tough situation brings out the best of him in you. So when God desires to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise, you and I, the unchangeable character of his purpose. He granted it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible, number one, what are these unchangeable things? The first one, it is impossible for God to what? If it's impossible for him to lie, you can't fail. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Here's the second one. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner peace behind the curtain. In other words, he says, we have these two unchangeable things. One, God cannot lie. And number two, that whatever he said will anchor us in the midst of where we are and hold us steadfast. God's timing is better than ours. God's timing is never rushed. You see, Jesus, the reason why he stayed for two days, he, Jesus is never moved by emotions. He's not moved by emotions. You know, um, women are emotional creatures and men are logical thinkers. That's a very interesting conundrum because you're asking an emotional creature to marry a logical thinker. That's a, marriage is a conundrum. Don't say it too loud. <laughs> because you got this, this one creature that everything happens to her touches her heart. And when it touches her heart, it comes out of her mouth. Then you got this other creature, when something happens, it don't touch his heart, it touches his mind. And when it touches his mind, he can't figure it out. He retreats, and he becomes silent. 
So while it's touching her heart and moving her emotionally, she wants to talk. It touched his mind. He can't figure it out, so he retreats. And then she goes, see, that's what I thought. You don't care. You ain't saying nothing. Somebody say conundrum. God, God knew what he was doing when he gave Adam that girl. That wasn't a conundrum for him. God's timing is never rushed. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this. It's not in the screen. It says, for everything and every event, there was a time and a season for every purpose. Where? Where? Under heaven. Where? Under heaven. Where? Under heaven. So guess what's under heaven? Time, season, and purpose. Guess what's under heaven? Time, season, and purpose. Guess what's under heaven? Time, season, and purpose. So if time, season, and purpose is under heaven, and we're under heaven, when we pray, our prayers leave time, season, and purpose, time, season, and purpose, and goes to God where there is no time, there is no season, but there is purpose. See, so what governs us in terms of timing doesn't govern him. He's not freaking out over you staying too long in something. If you look at it, it's like you are that burger on the grill. He knows just how long to keep you over the flame. And then he retreats you back from the flame, flip you over, and shove you back. And then he pulls you back, flip you over, and then... And then at the right time, you will come forth as pure gold. Not unfinished, for he who began a work in you will be faithful to complete, not leave you medium rare. You're going to be dark through and through. Hallelujah for the darkness. <laughs> You're going to be ripe, ready to, to be eaten and used of God. Some of y'all are going to go to the 4th of July. You're going to remember this sermon. <laughs> Every time you put that, you're like, whoa, Lord, is this what you're doing? <laughs> oh, God is so good. Wow. Look at John 3, 11, 3 through 8. It says this. Watch this. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and his sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? God's timing, watch this. It is a question that you would ask God. And I'm not going to be all upset at the, at the disciples for asking that question. I'm going to tell you why. Because some of us would, you know, why would you go back to that same place you almost got in trouble? Because most of us would ask that same question, especially when it comes down to people trying to hurt you. So that's a, I mean, we ain't, we, you know, we're not going to criticize them. But I need you to understand why they asked. 
They asked because of self-preservation. And it was nothing wrong with, 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 with asking, are you going back to this place? Because they saw the rocks. The rocks were real. The stones. They saw the emotion. They saw the people going crazy, hooping and hollering. They said, we remember that. That ain't been too long. But can I tell you what they failed to, what they missed? They missed who they were with. Because Jesus was, a, was the son of God and he was a God of purpose. So if he told them to leave, we're going, that's what he tells them, that while it's day, we're going to work. And when night comes, men stumble in darkness. What was he really saying? Was he talking about natural light? No, he was talking about himself. He says, as long as I, the light, am working, there is no stumbling. He says, we're going to go to Judea, but we're going to be fine, guys, because I'm the light. And when I leave, men will begin to stumble because the light will no longer be there. So they missed the fact that they were with a God of purpose. And he had to reveal to them, well, guys, when it's light, we don't stumble. We work. So as long as I'm working, we're going to be fine. That's what they missed. That's what they missed. So God's timing is better than ours, and God's timing is not rushed, but it's purposeful. Number two, God's delay leads to a greater miracle and a greater blessing. It leads to a greater miracle and a greater blessing. God's delay. How many times have we listened to the enemy and made us believe that God's delay is a no? Look at John chapter 11, verse 9 through 14. Look what it says. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. He was speaking of himself. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He says, I'm not in them because, because I'm not in them. They stumble. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of this, of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Point number two, God's delay leads to a greater miracle and a greater blessing. They couldn't see that. Just like us. When we're going through circumstances and situations, we don't look at the fact that this is going to lead to something greater. If we're honest with ourselves, can we really say that we have learned more about our spiritual walk and we've learned more about God in the seasons of our trials than we've done in the seasons when nothing's going on and everything's going well? How many can agree with me? Get your hands up. Yeah. Paul said it like this. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, watch this. The first part of that, everybody's like, yeah, I want to know him and the power of the resurrection. But see, you got to go. There's a second part to that. Flip that coin over. What's the second part of that? The fellowship of his what? The fellowship of his what? The fellowship of his what? The koinonia of his suffering. See, we want the power. And we want the resurrection. But there cannot be a resurrection without a death. 
I believe that the church of God is going to step into a new dimension of God's power when we learn to die in every last one of our circumstances. To my brothers at APAR, it is, yes, you've made some mistakes in your life that has, lend, that has landed you where you are, but be encouraged. I'm telling you what you are going through is a season of death because you're experiencing God's near of the death. But from this death that you're experiencing, dying to yourself, there will be a resurrection of the power of God that you've never seen before. So stay in your place. And too many men have run out the grave before the perfection of the resurrection. They push the stone back and says, no, it's too dark in here. It's too quiet in here. That's a good place to be. The church will walk in divine power when we learn to die to ourselves. Please help me. I know you hope you still love me. We get offended by every little thing. And offenses, Jesus said, will come, but offenses sap the power of God in us. Because the Holy Spirit works by the Spirit of God, not by the flesh. Okay, let me get off of that. That's not an amen shouting point there. Look at John chapter 9, verse 4. It says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work, Diane. Now, wow. The issue is, is why would God, Jesus wait this man dies because he told him he's dead. Here's a point I want to give you. God does not see death the way we see death. God does not see loss the way we see loss. God never sees your circumstance and our circumstance the way we see it. Look at John 11, 11 through 14. John 11, 11 through 14. After this saying, he's saying, he said to them, oh, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Or be resurrected. Now Jesus has spoken this of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking a rest. Jesus boldly told them plainly that, that Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. But he says he was asleep. Matthew chapter 9, verse 23 through 26, there's another implication where Jesus used the word sleep instead of being dead. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something about that part right there. And he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but what? And what did they do? But when the crowd had been put out the house, oh, thank you, Jesus. There's some people you just need to get out your house when you need a miracle. There's some people you just need to disconnect yourself when you're in the middle of a battle and you need to hear God. Amen? But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Now, leave that scripture up. Look at this. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, I, I, please forgive me. I, I'm not saying this to be an offense to anyone. I have been to funerals where there have been a commotion. 
Some people know what I'm talking about. If you ain't never been to a good old Baptist, a good old black funeral, <laughs> let me tell you something. It could get very interesting. Trust me, it could get interesting. Especially the ones who ain't never did what they're supposed to do. Mama! Oh, mama! They jumping out on the casket, knocking over the flower. Girl, stop. You ain't love your mama when she was alive. Don't act up now. You should have told her you love her before she died. See, some of y'all are like, what are they talking about? <laughs> Look at Medea. Just go watch. Go get a Medea tape. Go get a Medea tape. And Jesus walked in there, and these people were like, oh, Lord, my baby died. Oh, Jesus. And they was crying and playing the doo doo Oh, God, help me, Jesus. And Jesus said, like, really? God, hold up, hold up. Stop the music, stop the music, stop the music. This girl sleep. And he was like, are you crazy? Jesus said, get out the house. Get, get out. Get, get, get thee out. Get out. Get out. And then he called the girl, and the girl stood up. Some of y'all ain't going to never forget this. <laughs> I'm glad Pastor Ben is in Albania. They was in there carrying on, screaming and hollering. Man, and Jesus like, you know what, guys, stop, please, get out, get out. And then he went, grabbed the girl by the hand, and raised her up. You would never believe that there were people that are called professional mourners. There are people that wake up in the morning and look for funerals to see who died, to show up. Don't even know these people. Go up, and when you when you emotional, you don't know if the people coming up to you grabbing, you don't even you ain't never seen, you just emotional. Oh, it was so good. You don't even know nothing about this person. Oh, you're gonna miss him. Glory to God, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> and over there just cutting them, ah, just screaming. And you don't even know that person. And there are people that do that. And there were people in Jesus' day that did that. They were called professional to really play on the emotion. Jesus said, you know what, y'all got to get out of here. I got some work I need to do while it's still day. <laughs> God doesn't see death the way we see it. You know what? He says he sees it as sleeping. That was a story about a little boy, and I'm about to close in my third part. There was a story about a little boy who was sick, and he was dying. And he knew he was going to die, and he was afraid. He said, Dad, I'm afraid to die. What is death like? And his dad said, you remember when you couldn't sleep at night, and you would crawl up in my lap? And I'd bring you in the, in, in the living room, and I, you'd crawl in my lap, and I would just rock you and sing to you, and you would fall asleep. And then you woke up in the morning in a different place. He said, that's what death is like. The Father rocks you to sleep, and you wake up in another place. And that's the beauty of what he says of sleep, because we look at death as final, but Jesus doesn't. He says, I come that you may have life and have life abundantly because he is life. He says, I'm going to give you life here and I'm going to give you life there. So life, so death is just a, 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 a transformation to take me to my faithful lover. Just a doorway to take me to my faithful lover. And finally, point number three, everything God does is so that we would trust and believe him. 
everything. John 11, 14, 15, look what it says. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. But let us go to him now. Why did he delay? He's called the God of delay. And why should we trust him? Because out of this delay, God says, I want you to trust me. And the more God shows up in your times of delay, the more God silences you to perfect your faith in him, the more he builds your trust, the more he builds your faith, and the more your faith becomes stronger in a God who knows all things. So that's what he was doing. That's what he was about. Mary thought that by saying the one whom you love would get him there quicker, but that was Mary's plan. But it didn't work because God had his plan. So whatever it is that you're going through, I want you to understand God knows exactly where you are and he's going to perfect that thing concerning you. Amen? Let us all stand. Let us stand. Our gracious Father, we thank you tonight. You are the God of the waiting. And while waiting, help us to trust you. You know all things. And I pray that this word will become sovereign and will become rhema to us and give us life that wherever we might be and whatever your sons and daughters is going through, I pray that your truth in John 11, 1 through 16, will become a reality. We will trust you because you're God and you're faithful and your word will not return to you void. Make plain the reality and the mystery of your purpose. And tonight we'll give you glory and honor. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And let the whole house say amen. 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 God bless you.